you want a vision of the future, Winston, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Someone is trying to teach me a lesson in futility. Why am I the only one who isn't killed? They will run you dizzy. They will pile falsehood on top of falsehood until you can't tell a lie from the truth and you won't even want to. That's how the powerful keep their power. Don't you read the papers? The world is a college of corporations inexorably determined by the immutable bylaws of business. The world is a business, Mr. Beale. It has been since man crawled out of the slime. Welcome to another episode of Our Interesting Times. It's my pleasure to have Dr. E. Michael Jones back on the show. Of course, Dr. Jones is the editor of Culture Wars magazine and the author of many books, including the soon-to-be-released Logos Rising, A History of Ultimate Reality. That's the title, right? Yes, that's it. <laughs> and it's available for a pre-order. Yes, you can go to culturewars.com and pre-order a copy. And you can check out what the, uh, what the cover looks like. You have pictures of the book now. Is that the working uh, cover? That is the cover, yeah. That'll okay. be the cover. Get anywhere looking. So what, you expect it like in January sometime, you think? Sometime around then, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're just ready to send it to the printer. Perfect. Okay, well, tonight um, I wanted to talk, uh, get your take. What's, what's happened to, to Ireland? It's, the, the, it's transformed into a, a modern liberal state, unfortunately, and all, and all of that entails and means. And maybe uh, I know you also have had some observations regarding Poland, and we can contrast the two situations there. And also uh, discuss your recent article that you wrote for the December uh, Culture Wars of uh, Sam Francis and the Triple Melting Pot. So um, Ireland, you've been there, I think, a few times. Um, what, what's happened to Ireland? You've had some discussion with John Waters. Uh, he has a book uh, about that, about uh, give us back, give us back our bad roads, <laughs> about what's happened to Ireland. Um, what's your take on Ireland? What's happened over there? Ireland is a conquered country, and uh, it was conquered by state-of-the-art warfare. And so if you want to know what the, the warrior looks like in our day, uh, it's a drag queen. Uh, this is what happened to John Waters. <clears throat> John Waters was a, uh, he, was, he grew up in, uh, during the rise of uh, rock and roll culture worldwide. Uh, started out as a musician uh, and then, shifted into being a rock and roll journalist 
during <clears throat> this period of time, he met Sinead O'Connor, and they had a child together. And at this point, he became uh, got conscripted into the culture wars. Uh, he describes himself as a conscientious objector, maybe a draft dodger in the culture wars. Uh, but as soon as he had a child, he realized he couldn't stay out of it anymore. Now, this was out of wedlock. So he's not he's not a guy who particularly feels strongly about marriage, uh, although he feels stronger now than I think he did before. But uh, this is about blood. He had a blood relationship with this uh, young lady, and <clears throat> he felt that that was part of nature and that it should be honored. And then he realized he had no rights whatsoever uh, as a father. And so this got him involved in father's rights. So this is a man who uh, came about this uh, in a purely natural kind of cultural, biological blood and soil type way. He was he was not interested in crusading for any particular idea. I mean, in, in this regard, he's different than me uh, because I'm an American. And as an American, I don't have any real natural connection, I don't think, to our culture because our, our culture is based on propositions and his culture is based on blood and soil, the traditional uh, connection that people have to their ancestral land. And so I've, blood is what I've already talked about. And soil, it comes out in that book he wrote where he actually digs turf. If you've never been to Ireland, you know that they have bogs there. Uh, if, if we waited a couple thousand years, maybe a couple hundred thousand years, We'd have coal, uh, but they can't wait. So they're burning something that's kind of halfway to, uh, to, to coal, which they call turf. And it has a kind of distinctive smell to it. And I remember that when I visited my great uncle and aunt when Balahadrine in the 1970s. They had a fireplace and they were burning turf. So it's blood and soil. And uh, he was fine with that until he realized he didn't have any rights because of blood, and then he became active in the father's rights movement, and that led him into various uh, referenda. Now, during this period of time, Ireland uh, began inviting multinational, international, transnational corporations, and these people were like an occupying power. They promised uh, jobs, uh, basically, they did not really fulfill that promise. John told me that Google has a European headquarters in Ireland, largely because of the tax breaks that the Irish government uh, offered them. He said 95% of the people working for Google are foreigners. Only 5% are Irish. So what, these, what this was was an occupying army. And no one understood it at the time, including John Waters. And so capital started to, not capital, let me put it this way, money started flowing into Ireland. And the money that reached the Irish was mostly borrowed money, it was debt. And they went crazy with their money and started doing all sorts of crazy things. And that bubble burst in 2008. And Ireland, by this point, had reached the point where 
it wasn't really representing the people. The government was not representing the people of Ireland. And we know that because the government agreed to bail out the, the bad banks when they should have stiffed the banks, as Iceland did, because Iceland is a country where the government represented the people. And they said, we're not going to we're, we're not going to pay off here. If you wanted the money back there, the guy lives down the street here and you can go ask him for the money. But we're not going to pay off his bad debts. Ireland did the exact opposite. And this was the beginning of one more step into slavery. So the the uh, corporations then have lots of money and they start bringing in NGOs. And if you want the 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 uh, the military formation in our day, it's it's NGOs. Uh, I think I think it's seven or eight countries in the world have banned George Soros because George Soros funds NGOs and the NGOs invariably engage in some type of attempt to overthrow the government, one way or the other. And that's precisely what they did in Ireland. They waged war on the people of Ireland by overthrowing the Constitution. The Constitution guaranteed certain inalienable rights to the Irish people. Now, that means that the government did not give them these rights. The Constitution recognized these rights. And one of them had to do with the family. One of them had to do with the right to life. Uh, abortion was illegal. And they also have the right to free speech. And so over this period of time, the corporations, the NGOs, and then most recently, the information crowd, uh, like Google and Facebook, uh, showed up and basically conquered that country. So... John Waters is home at this point, 2014, January 2014. He's home minding his own business. And a drag queen shows up on the biggest, I believe it's the biggest talk show in Irish television, and, den and denounces John Waters in his absence as a homophobe. Well, John Waters had no strong feelings whatsoever about homosexuality, but he had earned uh, uh, the reputation of a man who was going to stand up for the rights of fatherhood. And for some reason, he got on the list of these revolutionaries, these uh, psychological warfare operatives. So at this point, uh, John demands an apology and they refuse to give an apology or they, they, they start, uh, you know, playing games with them. So then he engages a lawyer, and eventually, not only did he get an apology, uh, he got a, a settlement uh, from these people. At this point, he's a columnist for the Irish Times, and he'd been a columnist for 20 years. And then suddenly, because of the Internet, uh, a lynch mob materializes overnight. Now, he, he made the point that... Uh, during the era when he was writing for a print newspaper, if you wanted to write a letter to the editor, you had to give your name and your address and your phone number. And they would probably call you up to make sure that you were the actual person. Well, this all changed immediately as soon as they had an online edition of the Irish Times. And at this point, nobody had to give any name. Any, you, you had no guarantee that all of these handles that showed up were actually individual people. It could have been one guy 
in Tel Aviv pressing buttons. It could have been anybody. And no one knew. And so as a result, this got orchestrated very quickly into a lynch mob. And you had this hate campaign against John, John Waters. And eventually he, uh, he resigns because the, the Irish Times is not backing him up in this thing. And he goes on and they, they, uh, that was uh, the lead up to the gay marriage referendum. And at that point, uh, Google through the control of information, Facebook, we now know that they, they were deliberately skewing the algorithms uh, and they were able to uh, Im- impose, they, they were able to get gay marriage passed. This is a sign that you're a conquered province of uh, what I would call the American empire, but we know that it's not really Americans who run the American empire. Uh, they have a separate nationality now, by the way. Um, so he, this is what led him to write his book. I got to meet him uh, uh, at Notre Dame. He came to speak at Notre Dame, and we sat together for a couple hours and talked. And through reading the book and the conversation, I realized this has happened <laughs> all over the place. This is not, it's, uh, Ireland is a, a, an especially egregious example of it, but it's happened all over the place. And I think it's the face of warfare in our age. So at the same time that uh, uh, John, uh, John Waters is being pilloried in Ireland as a homophobe, uh, Brendan Eich becomes CEO of Mozilla. Uh, corporation he founded. Uh, Brendan Eich, if there's a a pantheon, if there's ever going to be a pantheon of Silicon Valley, Brendan Eich should be there. He invented Java. As I said, he created Mozilla. He's one of the the best people they have. And so at the same time that uh, John Waters is being attacked as a homophobe, uh, the internet starts buzzing with the fact that Brendan Eich gave a contribution to Proposition 8, which was basically the anti-homosexual marriage agenda, uh, or referendum, I'm sorry, in, uh, in California. Now, this passed. This means that the majority of the people of California did not want gay marriage. And of course, whenever that happens, the oligarchs have to step in with their institutions, and what happened is that the Supreme Court overturned any uh effort like that with the Obergefell decision. And the Obergefell decision corresponded with uh, the mayor of South Bend announcing that he was a homosexual. Uh, I was asked by a group of black ministers to uh, speak at a protest rally against the mayor, uh, protesting the mayor's dishonesty because he didn't reveal this during the first election, which was the only real election because it was a Democratic primary. And then he went on to win the second election as the incumbent. And he will go around now. He's now running for president, in case you didn't know that. In, in every interview, he'll say that he won 80% of the vote after he announced that he was a homosexual. What he forgot to tell you is that only 11% of the electorate showed up at the polls that, for that election because everybody knew it was a farce. Because it's always been a farce. The Republicans propose candidates who are uh, a sign-on to lose. So he got 8,000 votes. 
And this was some type of mandate out of a, an electorate registered voters of about 100,000 people. As I said before, if this were in Bosnia, the UN would invalidate the election. But uh, because it's South Bend, Indiana, and we the, the oligarchs want some type of homosexual takeover, no one talks about this. So the other thing that happened <clears throat> around the same time, this is all around the same time, all around 2014-15, is that the, the legislature of Indiana just got the people just heard from the people and they're complaining about this homosexual tyranny, this homosexual bullying, forcing people to 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 go along to condone this homosexuality in a way that they found completely repugnant. So they passed something called the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And at that point, once again, the oligarchs showed their hand. Uh, uh, the head of Salesforce parachuted into South uh, to Indianapolis and told the legislators that they had to basically uh, rewrite their bill. You can't pass a bill like this. Now, who is this man to tell the appointed legislatures of the state of Indiana that they can't pass a law? Uh, Mike Pence was the governor at this point. He's now vice president. And uh, he was... Uh, simply incapable of assessing the situation. As I said before, what he should have said is, uh, you know, what part of Indiana are you from, uh, Mr. McCorkle? And who will, oh, you didn't, you didn't get elected and you're from California. So, uh, officer, please arrest this man. He's trying to overthrow the government. That's what should have happened. What did happen is that the legislature handed the uh, bill for a rewrite to, uh, I believe his name is Bart Peterson, who used to be mayor of Indianapolis. Okay, I can understand that, but who is he? What is he doing now? Well, he's an employee of Eli Lilly, which happens to be the biggest employer of uh, uh, people in Indiana and a, a, a big opponent of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Now, there's probably uh, something to do with pharmaceuticals here, because homosexuals, this is something that John Waters pointed out in his book, as soon as homosexuals get married, they constitute a family. And as soon as they constitute a family, they have a right to have children. Well, I know this will come as a shock to you, but two men cannot get together and have a child. Can't do it. So... What does that mean? That means that they have to buy a child. One way or the other, they have to buy one. And when you buy a human being, that's known as slavery or human trafficking. So what you're doing is you're overthrowing one law after another, fundamental laws, all in the interest of pushing an agenda, which is the agenda of the oligarchs. And the oligarchs have money and they have power. There's only two things I would say that stand in their way. One is the moral law. And secondly, there is the positive law, which is the law of passed by legislators, uh, which are elected by the will of the people. Both of these things are barriers to oligarchic rule. And both of these things came under fire in California, Indiana and Ireland.
So that's three completely different places. And the same, ta uh, the same tactics were used in all of these areas. So I'm saying that's why I said this is warfare. This is warfare in our age. And every time you see a gay flag, it means you are living in a conquered province of the American empire, uh, which is uh, only tangentially uh, ruled over by Americans. Yeah, the there is a, one one consistency that we see is is the uh, support of uh, corporate America or big business for gay rights or LG, LGBTQ rights or whatever, or <clears throat> gay marriage, um, same sex uh, marriage, uh, the corporate sponsorship, uh, I guess you could say. And why yeah. why do these corporations even have a position on this? Um, you know, or you'd think they'd be neutral; they'd just be interested in producing a product or a service. But they stake out a position. I think you've, I mean, you've, you've, I think you've said it succinctly is the homosexual is a proxy warrior for the, for big capital because it, there it's a, an attempt to atomize society, break down, you know, obviously, you know, community and family and at, create an atomized consumer society. I was reading an article about Ireland and all the comments, they, same thing, Ireland, big capital came out in support of, of same sex marriage. Um, some quote here it's a uh, fair failure to support civil marriage equality may do untold damage to ireland's in, international reputation warned the irish business and employers confederation in the lead up to the marriage referendum and kenny added marriage civil marriage equality will further promote ireland as a leading place to work and do business it's all about business twitter yeah. ireland vice president stephen mcintyre advised yes vote in the referendum um, would be good for twitter and for ireland Richard Bruton said at the time that a yes vote would be a wise choice because it would be helpful for our business to grow. He went on, it would be good for Ireland. We are now a very vibrant, multicultural society. We are generous. We support equality. Same rhetoric. See it everywhere. Right. Same rhetoric and completely hypocritical and mendacious. Because every time you give a right to a homosexual, you take the right away from the heterosexual. It's that simple. Every time you support what they do, you are undermining marriage. Every time you say that a homosexual gets married, then you are pro you are promoting the trafficking in human beings because only a man and a woman can get together to produce a child. And when a homosexual shows up with a child, uh, someone else was involved and not the person that that, that person is together with. So you're promoting uh, the rule of money. You're promoting the rule of mammon. If you've got mammon, if you've got money, you can do whatever you want. And that has always been the goal of the oligarch because he has money. Why should, why should I let some type of uh, rule, some archaic rule, inhibit my ability to spend my money? The, this is, the ideology here is known as libertarianism, in case you haven't heard about it before. And libertarianism was created by rich Jews. Uh, the classic example being uh, the Cato Institute, which was founded in 1977 by Koch brothers, the Koch, Koch brothers' money, Charles Koch, uh, in collaboration with Murray Rothbard. So it's basically a Jewish operation that wants to promote anything that will subvert the rights of the majority. Uh, so it could be uh, we could be talking about uh, usury. They are in favor of usury. Or it could be 
the promotion of pornography. And they are in favor of pornography. One of the members of the Cato Institute is a guy by the name of John Stalliano, who happens to be a pornographer. And in 2010, he's also a contributor to the Cato Institute. 2010, he's arrested for producing obscene material. The Cato Institute, Reason Magazine, and the entire libertarian establishment jumps to his defense. This is the type of thing that uh, we've been suffering under for 40 years now. I'm talking about the basic takeover of our culture that took place at the time when Paul Volcker became head of the Fed. Paul Volcker, by the way, died last week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, This is a man who uh, was dedicated to the interest of the creditor class and uh, basically wrecked the economy to serve the creditor class. The creditor class in the 1970s was complaining about inflation. Paul Volcker came in and used shock therapy to basically kill the economy. So it's very similar to chemotherapy. Uh, what he did. Uh, Chemotherapy is poison. It basically stops every single cell from replicating in your body. And then you hope that uh, after setting the barn on fire, that the rats will leave before the barn burns down. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, Volcker did the same thing for the economy. He basically raised interest rates to 20%. You could get 20% on your money return on your investment for doing nothing, nothing. And it was guaranteed by the federal government. As St. Bernard of Siena said, Bernardine of Siena, uh, usury kills charity and it kills business. Uh, It kills business because why should I risk my money when I can get a 20% return for doing nothing? So the money just dried up in terms of investment. And also that meant that the banks had to lend at that rate. And that meant that they were committing a crime because every single state in the union had uh, usury statutes on the book that limited uh, uh, the amount of interest you could collect to way below 20%. So basically what happened then is that every state had to overturn its usury laws. And at that point, the wealth started concentrating in the hands of fewer and fewer people. Now, over this period of time, this group of people had enormous amounts of money at their disposal. And so what did they do? They created NGOs and tax-exempt foundations. And what did those NGOs and tax-exempt foundations promote? They promoted the rights of the rich to do whatever they wanted with their money. And that meant they undermined the moral law, which is the basis for the positive law and also the only thing that a poor man has to protect him against the predations of the rich. And so during this period of time, institutions like the Cato Institute, uh, George Soros' NGOs and so on and so forth started promoting uh, use, uh, I'm sorry, prior to promoting pornography and gay marriage. Uh, Lloyd Blankfein, then head of uh, Goldman Sachs, was a big promoter of gay marriage. Because, first of all, because he's Jewish. Secondly, because he's an oligarch. And those two two circles coincide pretty much because you have uh, a, a small minority in both instances. Both Jews and creditors are small minorities. So you got 1%, uh, the 1% crowd. And so as a result, we were left without any protection. The promotion of uh, sexual liberation 
pornography. Um, you have written about, um, in 1975, uh, Michel Foucault's Death Valley deal, where um, he, was, he was agreed to be, sort of made, be made an academic star if he promoted sexual liberation, homosexuality, promiscuity, and sort of would, would forswear the traditional left's concerns for the working man. And this coincides you know, with that decision in 75 uh, about the, uh, um, uh, you know, using the geographies of production, outsourcing, uh, you know, textiles out of Germany, United States got into this. Right. There uh, was a big meeting yeah. at uh, Schloss Rambouillet, the mm -hmm. Rambouillet, Chateau de Rambouillet in France, where all of the oligarchs got together and uh, agreed to basically loot the manufacturing base of both Europe and the United States and turn them into financial capitals and outsource all of the production to China. But this is why now we're seeing this sort of this uniformity, almost universal support for sodomy, you know, transgenderism by these by by Fortune 500 companies, uh, uh, because this helps them uh, to uh, establish their financial dominance because they've destroyed not only have they destroyed the moral order, they're undermining, uh, you know, idea of solidarity among the working class, uh, which otherwise they'd have some ability to organize and, and perhaps even pass legislation to protect their interest. But it's funny. You know, I get what you I mean when, when Eli Lilly company uh, can pressure uh, the state of Indiana to, to pass a law, I guess they're threatening either withholding donations or moving jobs out of state, right? Is that the pressure? Well, the, uh, both Salesforce and the N yeah. NCAA threatened to leave Indiana. At, at this point, you need a man of principle to call their bluff. Mm -hmm. Okay, now let's say it's the NCAA or what, whatever it is. Were they given tax incentives to move their headquarters to Indianapolis? If so, they should have to pay back the tax incentives if they're thinking of moving. All types of penalties you could impose on them, yeah, for reneging on their. Yeah. I'm I'm sorry, but yeah. you we gave you we gave you certain money for you to come here and you have reneged on the agreement. So I'm sorry, but you're going to have to pay it back if you want to move. The same thing with Ireland, right? With, with Google. All this yeah. all this type of stuff, you could have done that. But, but part of what happens here is that the user class, the oligarchs get so much money, they buy politicians as well. So we, we have um, a recent article in the UNS Review about uh, vulture capitalism. Yes, vulture I read that. Is Jewish capitalism? That's what the author said. It was by Andrew Joyce, yeah. Yeah, Andrew Joyce. That's what he said, and then he gives the classic example. Well, it goes down the list, but uh, one of the prime examples was Paul Singer, who is a vulture capitalist, who basically is the reason that uh, Argentina is in distress because he buys up distressed debt at pennies on the dollar, and then he gets some crooked judge in New York City to uh, give him full face value, and then the country can't pay off its debt. And he makes out like a bandit. This is criminal. This is criminal activity. And the fact that it's not he's not prosecuted just means that the system is corrupt. So the point here is, as I've said before, I said it in Mashhad. Uh, I said to the Iranians, there are three reasons why you don't have a nuclear agreement. And one of them is Paul Singer. And the other two are Sheldon Adelson and Bernard Marcus. So the user class got so much money. And I'm including the gambling class here, too. Mm -hmm. They got so much money that they could buy up all the politicians. And as a result, the people, the governments do not represent the people that they claim to represent. That's two parties that represent the interest of the oligarchs and no party represents the interest of the people. 
that's Ireland. That's the United States. I mean, we go uh, all all sorts of countries. This seems to be a fatal weakness in any liberal democracy. Yeah, it's the Achilles heel. Yeah. How do you deal? How do you prevent money from taking over and destroying democracy? How do you do that? Well, we don't don't look to us. Uh, don't look to the United States as any type of paradigm that has failed miserably. This whole you know, noble experiment, blah, 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 a republic if you can keep it, as Ben Frank. Well, we couldn't keep it. Sorry, Ben, but we couldn't keep it. And the reason we couldn't keep it is because we couldn't rein in the oligarchs. That's the reason. So we don't have representative democracy anymore. We've got one, instead of one man, one vote, we have one dollar, one vote. That's the system in the United States. Yeah, it's been remarked that to believe in democracy is to believe that your vote matters as much as David Rockefeller's when he was still alive. You know, but <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's uh, whoever has it's a dollar democracy, and it's, it does yeah, seem to yeah. And you put these three three rich Jews together, they got lots of money, and so therefore they've got lots of votes, and we can't compete with them. So Donald Trump does what they say, and so as a result, he's in a bind with Iran that he kind of cannot get out of. Can't move forward, can't move back. He's just stuck. Well, you know, America has its own vulnerability because, as you said, America is a proposition nation and we don't talk of blood and soil. But some of the traditional countries like Ireland, you'd think, would have a stronger resistance to this. But Ireland went through a, some turmoil, at least moral turmoil, with the scandal in the church sort of uh, denying them that protection. And it's, it's been observed that Ireland, you, I heard you're in, was it you or John Waters talking about Ireland has devotional Catholicism, wasn't really intellectual. So when the scandal hit the clergy there, they didn't have anything to fall back on philosophically or intellectually. And this coupled with the uh, Emerald Tiger era, the pump and dump, where you can literally have an alchemical debasement of the culture by pumping money in. And that seems what's happened in Ireland. They got rich and lost their soul. At least they thought they were rich. Yeah, and they didn't know what, they didn't know what hit them. I mean, if, if it were the black and tans again they probably would have known what to do. But it's that's only once in history, okay? Mm. The, the black and tans are not going to come back, okay? But we have something worse than the black and tans uh, with, with, uh, with Google, Facebook, the oligarchs, their NGOs, and all of these things because uh, the, because those people kind of left the left your their religion alone whereas these people come in and they're they're determined to subvert the religion of the Irish people now you're right in pointing out that the priest scandal was instrumental in doing this because it basically discredited the priest and and if there were an Achilles heel in Ireland I, I mean James Joyce said they were a priest ridden culture. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, John Waters said when he was in school, if you asked a question, the priest said, because it's God's law, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Well, that's not going to cut it anymore. You can't have this, you can't have this, this naive Catholicism. You can't have this naive ethnic Catholicism anymore. You have to be conscious of what, of what the faith is about and conscious of how what is going when someone tells you that you shouldn't discriminate that this is not really what they're talking about they're really trying to undermine your faith and so it was a, all the like the ads for the the uh, gay marriage it's all you know heart tugging pictures of big irish families and the irish mother saying i want all of my children to be married to get married and you well okay that's great honey but tell your lesbian daughter that she can't because she's a lesbian. Well, no one said that. 
And anybody who tried to say it was immediately demonized as a hate monger, a homophobe and whatever else, because they had lynch mobs at their disposal, you know, at the click of a mouse. Love is love, right? Love is love. Yeah. What's that mean? Well, that's just so, the manipulation of the language itself. And, you know, the, I mean, so, so you play. This is why Foucault was so deadly. He was mm -hmm. deadly, much more powerful than a guy like Jacques Derrida, who was a, an Algerian Jew and had all the Jewish, uh, you know, hangups about Logos. Foucault was a Catholic. And Foucault basically weaponized the Christian message of concern for the marginalized by turning the world upside down. He was a, a student of Nietzsche. And so basically it was the transvaluation of values. So the marginalized now become your ruler and you become the marginalized person. That's that was the genius of Foucault. And it's all done in a way that seems kind of compatible with Christianity. Well, John Waters found that out, right? Yeah, he well, he's being barked at by a transvestite, and all of a sudden he's treated like the freak. <laughs> That's right. I mean, it's so like you're, you're the freak because you're not a freak. <laughs> yeah. yeah, That's what we're going through. Like, what drag queen story hour? What's that about? If you have you, there's some good work about the origins of that. It, go, it traces back to a Jewish guy who took over the American Library Association right. in the 1970s. Yeah. That's right. So once again, and foundations and NGOs. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. It's the same story yeah. over and over and over again. And we better get with the program because if we don't, we're just going to be blind and we well, won't know what, uh, how to, how to uh, uh, fight back. Yeah, you, you talk about this naive ethnic Catholicism, which is pervasive. Because um, I mean, you, this was I got out of your book on um, Cardinal Kroll is just that no one was aware of psychological and ethnic warfare that was being waged against them. So they, they didn't even know how to articulate or much as marshal the defense against it. And they all got on this integration kick because that was the morally superior position to take. Um, and they let it, they let, and when you destroyed the ethnic neighborhoods, you destroyed the power base for the Catholic church at that time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, th I think the Cardinal Ottaviani, who's the man who called the council understood very well what was going on. Mm -hmm. And all you have to do is read the preliminary documents because he wrote those preliminary documents and then the council got hijacked. Now, what do I mean by that? Did they ever, did, did they promote? This is the, I'm sorry, this is the second Vatican council? Second Vatican okay. council. Did they promote heresy? No, they did not. You can't have heretical propositions generally being passed by 2000 bishops. You know, they know what's, what's heretical mm -hmm. and what's not. Uh, there were ambiguous statements in some of these things like, uh, Nostra Tate says the church opposes all forms of anti-Semitism. Well, that was a, a, a gift to the ADL. Okay. <laughs> this is the fine so, anti-Semitism now. Yeah. yeah I mean, if, but in, once you say that, uh, Your Excellency, you have to define what anti-Semitism is, because if you don't, the ADL will. And basically, that means anything a Jew doesn't like will be termed anti-Semitism. Yeah, I would have taken out that copy of Civita Catholica, uh, 1891 edition. Right. Is this anti-Semitic? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Jewish question. Yeah. So, uh, so Ottaviani was on to that, and I think what he said was we have to understand the assaults on the church coming from both the Soviet Union, which everybody knew, but also from the United States, and that um, the American way of life, and, and the best, as I said in the book, the best example of that was uh, La Dolce Vita, where you have Marcello Mastriani being tempted by all these things from America, including uh, Anita Ekberg playing uh, some, I, I suppose she's supposed to be Jane Mansfield or something like that. Um, and 
they they're trying to they're trying to understand how what is this really a threat? I I seem to like this idea. Why is it a bad thing? And they were being seduced at the same time by this uh, corrupt culture coming from America. Yeah, it, it isn't it isn't barbed wire, concrete, and barking dogs of the communist east. It's women in bikinis and cheeseburgers. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's interesting in Ireland there during the referendum. I read an article during the referendum on the um, on on uh, same sex marriage. Uh, they promoted International Women's Day, which was originally was a communist. It might have been an abortion referendum. That's the context of it um, on, on the Eighth Amendment out there. But they promoted International Women's Day, which was originally was a Soviet thing, but it's been yeah. adopted by big capital, which is interesting because we have that fusion, right, um, of these of. Um, uh, you know, how the West would subvert, you know, how it subverts it with idea of liberty and, and consumerism, but they, they're taking up a Soviet idea. That, you know. Yeah, yeah. So you've had all these weird mutations. So they just had a free speech rally. Free speech is going to be the next referendum, or, or it's going to. It may not, probably won't be a referendum. It'll just be try. They'll try to impose it because uh, they know that consciousness is rising, and they're going to have to punish people who think in. They're going. To, they're going to punish the Irish people. The Irish people have already been reduced to second-class citizenship in their own country in a very dramatic way. And it came out in this rally in Dublin just a week ago uh, where you had the Irish patriots on one side and you have all the NGOs, mm -hmm. Antifa, and including one uh, group representing the Catholic Church on the other side. Yeah, so, they, they, um, liberalism kind of market stuff is bringing Ireland out of the 19th century, out of the, the oppression of traditional Catholicism. And it it, it, it it promises you know material abundance and liberty, but it doesn't deliver any of those things um, because I, the other thing I'm trying to tell you is that you know okay the Cato Institute is founded in 1977 and they promote freedom. All you have to do is promote freedom. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, we now know empirically what happens when you promote freedom without any regard to the moral law or human nature. You get tyranny, you get slavery, uh, you get social control. All of that libertarian hypocrisy is now plain for the eye to see. Okay, we got usury, we got sodomy, and we got pornography. Thank you, Cato Institute. Thank you, Koch brothers. That's what it turned out to be. So it's all completely, it's, it's hypocritical. So now these are the people who fund the Republican Party and they fund Republican operatives like Charlie Kirk. And uh, they are in a state of panic because there's now an uprising against these people. The consciousness is rising. Logos is rising. And so what, the, what are they going to do? Well, they brought in Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck to the rescue. So he shows up at a Car Charlie Kirk uh, rally uh, yesterday, I believe, two days ago. And he wags his finger at the young people in the audience and says, you should never ban pornography. Oh, wait a minute. What what does this have to do with conservatism? <laughs> you're you're blowing you're blowing up your own operation and you don't even know it because they're panicking. They know there's an uprising on the reservation. And, and the the oligarch money is now going to people like Glenn Beck and say, or Charlie Kirk and say you got to stop this. You have to tell these people that you can't be a conservative unless you support sodomy and pornography. Well, nobody's buying it. Sorry. I mean, usury goes without saying. And so what you're doing, in effect, is supporting all the things that have enslaved 
the the 20-year-old population that you're supposed to be representing. Well, didn't Rolling Stone uh, uh, come out in November saying that those who are for swearing pornography, swearing off pornography are guilty of anti-Semitism? Yes, they said that. So how about how about, <laughs> how's that for letting the cat out of the bag, fellas? <laughs> so you're saying, so you're admitting, so you agree with me that pornography is a Jewish operation. That's obvious now. And the, and that is indeed a weapon because it was Psychology Today. It said it makes men more aggressive and less docile if they uh, don't watch pornography. That's right. So you really want to render people docile. So now we know what it's all about. So the only thing. So now you've got a crisis among these uh, young people because that consciousness is spreading and they suddenly realize, hey, this isn't entertainment. This is control and I don't like it. And so as you, as you said, there was a boycott of pornography during the month of November. Well, that set off all kinds of alarm bells. Uh, and uh, apparently uh, that's the message that Glenn Beck got. Apparently it's not about freedom because they want you watching. They don't want you choosing not to watch it. <laughs> They'll go out of the way to force feed it to you. They'll make it mandatory. Yeah, um, they, they believe in freedom of choice as long as you make the choices they want you mm -hmm. to make. Uh, now, the example of Poland as a counterexample. What's the, what's the difference with Poland? They, they seem to be... Uh, I know it's in the East, and that might be a factor. Uh, a lot of the Eastern European nations have, tend to be more traditional for, for a lot of things. Uh, but uh, there seems to be more resistance to this in Poland. It, yeah, the difference between Poland and Ireland, they're both traditionally Catholic countries, majority Catholic countries, the, the difference between Poland and Ireland is consciousness. Poland has a consciousness of what's going on that Ireland simply does not have. So as of now, there are 80 principalities, I'm sorry, 80 uh, municipalities in Poland who have declared themselves LGBTQ, whatever it is, uh, free zones. <laughs> you gotta love that. <laughs> Now this is this is really an outrage, uh, outrageous behavior, and uh, I I mean I I I I hate to say, but I think I had something to do with this, because well, I did the uh, book tour in Poland uh, with the Polish translation of Libido Dominandi, and then a month later the Polish bishops came out with their statement on gender ideology, and then about a year or so later I got an email from a guy who said that between my book and the Polish uh, bishops, we destroyed gay marriage in Poland. So what, what we brought there was consciousness. And consciousness is basically sexual liberation is a form of control. And that apparently sunk in in Poland. So that's the consciousness that Poland has that Ireland does not have. And Ireland is going to have to now come up to speed because otherwise you will, you will go out of existence because these people are trying to destroy you they're using uh, not only what we've talked about so far, but they're also weaponizing immigration. Mm -hmm. And so in Ireland, you the uh, the government will take 500 Somalis and put them in a, a village where there are 300 Irish living there. Well, this is you know I'm sorry, I've, I've been I've been down this road. You know, I've been over and over with the white guys. I keep talking about, you know, how ethnicity and race are two different things. Mm -hmm. and, and they say, well, suppose an African goes to Poland and learns the Polish language and eats kabasi and gawumpki. Can he become a Pole? And I said, yes, of course he can. But if you put 500 Somalis in an Irish village with 300 natives, you're attacking their culture. That's a different situation. 
that's a different situation, and it's an exactly analogous to what happened in Rome. Rome had a, a process of assimilation. You could be a Roman citizen if you adopted Roman culture. They didn't care what color you were or where you came from, as long as you spoke Latin and, and so on and so forth. Well, uh, at a certain point, you know, so if you were a goth and you wanted to become a Roman, say, fine, you, you can speak Latin. We're sending you to Syria. Well, at a certain point, when the Huns arrived at the Danube and the Romans needed help, they allowed the entire Gothic nation to cross the Danube and settle on the south bank of the Danube. Well, that didn't work out because they didn't become Romans. They stayed Goths. They created the Gothic kingdom and eventually they took over Rome when Rome collapsed. So you can't do it. It's like the, the, the numbers do make a difference here. And this type of mass orchestrated mass migration is weapon is weapon it's been weaponized and i said before i mean this is what happened to me when i was growing up it was weaponized in the united states it was the black migration up from the south after world war ii into the the ethnic neighborhoods and places like chicago and philadelphia that was an assault on the catholic church and on the catholic parish and the ethnic parish so i know from firsthand experience what weaponized migration looks like and and uh, in, in in all these cases, uh, there's a, a a Jewish hand behind it because I know in Ireland, uh, some of the changes of the immigration laws were spearheaded by this guy named Alan Shatter, who's a, uh, who's Jewish. Um, a lot of the NGOs that are doing this in Europe, they're either Jewish or they're they're dominated by Jews who run the operations. Even Catholic charities in the United States, uh, the organizations that are <clears throat> involved in some of this migration, you know, people from Africa into states like Maine, uh, are are Jewish. Um, so there, there's a, 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 and of course, uh, you write about in, in Slaughter of Cities, uh, in, and also in, in uh, the John Connor Cole biography, is that um, much of the impetus or the force behind the migration north and in, in, in the force busing integration and desegregation was, was Jewish. But this yeah. is a, a recognition, and I think you write uh, in, um, who is that book, uh, The Fatal Embrace, how he admits, Ginsburg admits that this is. Uh, the Jews are being opportunistic in this? And, and well, they, he, he talked about the, uh, the neoconservatives and abortion. Mm -hmm. And he said, if you get the, these Jews in private, they, they, just, they just laugh at the, he called them the riffraff, but I'm sure they use the word goyim. Uh, but that, that's what he's talking about. So you, you have this kind of conservative movement and you have these guys who come, the Jew will come say, yeah, I'm against abortion. And they say, great, a Jew's against abortion. That's wonderful. And then, but the second part is, but you have to be a supporter of Israel now because I'm a supporter of uh, um, uh, pr the pro-life movement. And then it turns out nothing's ever going to get done about abortion, but we're going to keep sending that money to Israel. Mm -hmm. So that's that's the crooked deal that the neoconservatives brokered. And uh, uh, and it, we, we know what they did. And, and so it's not working anymore. Conservatism is not working. It, it's, it's an obsolete ideology. The shelf life has expired on conservatism, and something else is emerging in its place. You wrote this piece. I know I have you for about ten more minutes. Uh, this piece on Samuel Francis. Um, right. And uh, I guess this is the his idea. His idea. You try to raise what he called middle American radicals and sort of this white consciousness to fight the managerial state. Yeah. And um, well, do you want to talk about that for a little while? Yeah, well, yeah, I knew Sam Francis. Mm -hmm. I met him a couple times. 
when I was just, uh, hanging out with the Rockford crowd, um, he was he would write regularly for the uh, Chronicles. Uh, and we had a conversation, and during the conversation I had with him, he told me basically how William Buckley destroyed his career. William F. Buckley, the editor of uh, National Review, went down to the Washington Times and told them basically they had to fire Sam Francis. So this was Buckley being the commissar. You know, he was the controller. He was the pope of conservatism, and he would excommunicate you if you didn't go along with what he was saying. And he felt that Sam Francis wasn't going along with it, even though Sam Francis was influenced by James Burnham, who was one of the early writers, regular writers for uh, National mm -hmm. Review. Burnham was a communist in his youth. And he came up with tried to understand the transformation in America that took place between the time when families owned businesses to which like before World War Two and then after World War Two, you had the rise of corporations where it, it was, you know, the stockholders, and you had this managerial elite that basically ran these things. And he felt took over; they were running these co companies in their interest. It's all kind of dated. I'm sorry, but the managerial elite was just destroyed by the by the creditor class. They took over uh, as, at the time I mentioned with Paul Volcker. So Sam was trying to. You know, he's trying to make a, a 747 out of, you know, spare parts in a, in a junkyard. You know, it doesn't work. He didn't he didn't he was he, he was born in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I'm sure he was a Christian of some sort of other. Uh, but basically then uh, became a conservative. That was his religion. And he, in adopting uh, Burnham's categories, he became a, a Marxist materialist. Uh, you know, it, tried to have a conservative spin on it and it didn't work it simply didn't work and then the final nail in his coffin was when buckley expelled him and at this point sam became a became a race man and this was an embarrassment to tom fleming who tried to keep the race stuff out of chronicles so i was at a um, he, he he sam sponsored a talk by uh joe joe is it tyndall i always get his first name wrong but anyway the founder of the british national party and uh, Tyndall was talking about how we should all be proud of being white guys and and proof that we were a great group of people was Elizabethan England and at that point I look at my friend Jerry Bruin and he looks at me and we're thinking isn't that the time when they they could uh, you could get uh, hanged and then drawn and quartered for saying the mass why is why is that such a great thing so after that Jerry says to Tyndall are the Irish white and Tyndall gets upset and said, of course, they're white. And then Sam turns to him and said, are Jews white? Now, I recounted that story at the San Francisco Memorial where they had the kind of paleocon that uh, uh, was the paleocon elite at that uh, gathering. And it blew up the entire meeting. It blew it up. Uh, Taki was there. He screamed, we're all going to be arrested, you know, because I said, I'm going to answer the question whether Jews are white. And the answer is, if the Jew is white, he disappears. And you start barking up the wrong tree and you will never get to the heart of what's going on here. Because everything we're talking about, including the civil rights movement, was uh, uh, basically had nothing to do with race. It was, if you're talking about the orchestrated, uh, weaponized migration to places like Philadelphia, it was the Ford Foundation 
people like John J. McCloy and Paul Ilvesacker, who were whiter than I am, collaborating with Leon Sullivan to drive Catholics out of their neighborhoods. This has nothing to do with race. Well, that was that's the gist of the discussion. And it's caused all kinds of uh, uproar because I'm saying what Sam didn't understand is the real armature, uh, the real hidden grammar of uh, ethnicity in America is religion. It's not racial. It's a thing called the triple melting pot, which says after three generations, you become uh, one of three groups, Protestant, Catholic, Jew, and that becomes your ethnic identity. I think that's a much better explanation of ethnicity in America than race. And that's what I said, and it's caused all sorts of uh, controversy, and it's still reverberating uh, now. That's what I said. But in this but, piece, yeah. in this piece, you acknowledge that there, there is indeed a war on, on whites. That's right. But that's so. A, so, so the so the to bring this to its end, mm -hmm. the culmination of this of Sam Francis's legacy is Charlottesville, mm -hmm. because the combination of Sam Francis and uh, uh, Paul Godfrey. Uh, inspired the alt-right and the alt-right basically identified as white boys and they marched into charlottesville and there they got the guy named richard spencer handed out spears and he told them to charge the machine gun nest and they all got mowed down and i'm saying that's because you you internalize the commands of your oppressors your oppressors want you to identify white because then you're automatically a racist and then they can do whatever they want with you Whereas if you're, I, the point I tried to make was if you're religious, if, if your identity, which is not the true identity, has something to do with religion, you're protected in some sense or other, in which in way you are not if you identify as white. And as you make, make the point in the article is that whereas Samuel Francis could be excommunicated from the conservative movement, uh, there was an attempt to punish you for some, some of your writings and they couldn't. Uh, or engineer your excommunication because no, there's this guy named Dexter Van Zyl. Mm -hmm. he, he he gets paid by the by the Jews to attack people, so he now is attacking me by name, and uh, so it's going nowhere. So he, he this is really funny. He writes a letter to my bishop, <laughs> and he says this guy is terrible. You should do something about that. Well. The bishop gave uh, that guy's letter the attention it deserved, which is to say he never got an answer. Uh, and that's because there are reasons that can get you expelled from the Catholic Church. You can be excommunicated from the Catholic Church, but we know what they are, and they're all serious offenses, and I didn't commit any of them. And and getting uh, annoyed, being uh, the uh, attacked by some paid prostitute for camera is not reason to get excommunicated. So it didn't work. It kind of, and this was, I felt this was kind of proof of what I was saying about the difference between a, a false identity and a real identity. I said, I said, you know, Sam called the middle, middle American radicals. Mm -hmm. uh, Hillary Clinton called this group of people deplorables. Is that, uh, is that a category of the mind or of reality? Well, it's only a category of Hillary Clinton's mind. Okay, so there's no existence in reality here. If, if, if someone says, hey, deplorable, do you turn around? There's the joke is that <laughs> there, there was a biker rally. They tell me there was a biker rally and someone yelled, hey, asshole, and everybody turned around. 
Is that what happens? <laughs> if if you're if if someone says to you, "Hey, Mzungu," do you turn around? Well, you don't hear. But if you're in uh, Nairobi, yeah, you do turn around because Mzungu is the word for white guy. But that's only in Nairobi. It doesn't exist. That's not who I am. Mm-hmm. That's who, that's who the the Kenyans think I am. That's the difference that I'm trying to say between real identity, which is the triple melting pot, Protestant, Catholic, Jew, and pseudo identity, which is white, which is what the government wants you to identify as because then they can destroy you. And that's what they, they've they worked hard in creating when they broke up the ethnic neighborhoods, created suburbia, they created the sort of the... That's, that's right. The great I said the greatest triumph of the social engineers is to drive those Irish out of their ethnic neighborhood into the suburbs and convince them that they're white or drive the Poles out of Chicago to some suburb and suddenly they're magically transformed into white people. That was the triumph of social engineering. That that, that doesn't correspond to reality. No, no. And what you're saying is the category of, I mean, I mean, I, people know when they, you know, when I think of white people, I think of people who are Caucasian, people of European you know, extraction and they're white. Uh, but there's, um, is there a unifying identity that they, that they can appeal to? They can look back at, you know, uh, like an ethnic group. It's it, that doesn't really exist. It only exists in relations to to those who are not white. But nevertheless, right. um, so do, do you do you speak white? <laughs> do you speak white? Do, do you have white <clears throat> values? I mean, there are yeah. some people who actually claim there are such things as white values, and then you press them on it. Turns out, well, maybe they're European values. Oh, okay. Well, what's a European? Well, do you speak European? No, you don't speak European. You speak German or French or Italian. And so now we're getting to the heart of what ethnicity is. It's based on language. It's a form of local. Well, I mean, you do mention, like, in the article, uh, Jesse Jackson's protest, hey, hey, ho, ho, Western culture's got to go. Of course, he's a beneficiary of Western culture, but that's neither here nor there. Um, But this assault on all things Western, this cultural war, and uh, I think to a certain extent, they, they would say that's white or European. Um, the, war, the, yeah. war, the category in the mind of the social engineers and all these mm-hmm. people and Antifa, yeah, it's white. That's, that's what they think. But that's a category of their mind. That's not my yeah. reality. You know, okay, you, it's, as I said with Hillary Clinton, am I a deplorable well, no, Hillary, that's your problem. That's not my problem. I, I happen to, you know, have, have a, a, an identity and deplorable is not part of my identity. Yeah, yeah. It's your thought, not my not my identity. But the same I, goes with white. But, uh, white is, is in a, a category that's imposed on you so that they can deprive you of your rights. And I'm saying, OK, we sh- if, if it were uh, Catholicism, I'd have to stand up and fight for that. But if, if it's this other thing, uh, no, that's a purely negative identity anyway. None of these Poles or Lithuanians, mm-hmm. the, 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 the classic, Father Hesburg is the iconic photo of him singing We Shall Overcome with uh, Martin Luther King in <laughs> Chicago. What they don't tell you is that he was there to support the assault on Catholic Lithuanians in Marquette Park. Yeah, yes. Yes. Well, did, were those Lithuanians white? Did, when you're when you're in Vilnius, where do you wake up every morning and say, "Ah, oh, look, the streets full of white guys"? How did that happen? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you've made this point before. How they were uh, people were confronted with the question, "How aren't, aren't black people God's children too?" It didn't just acqu- but they didn't just address the issue that the mass integration or migration of blacks in the neighborhood was destroying the neighborhood, which was the issue. 
That's right. Yeah. That was the statement of the Catholic bishops who completely missed the boat. Mm -hmm. No one in Marquette Park, no Lithuanian in Marquette Park was going to say that Negroes were not children of God. It's completely beside the point. The issue is uh, they're, they're destroying my neighborhood, and I feel that I have a right to defend my neighborhood. I have the right to self-defense because Catholic the Church teaches me that, and so I'm going to throw rocks at Martin Luther King. And these insular Catholic neighborhoods had a political impact, which you write so eloquently in John Corner Kroll about, you know, the uh, uh, blessed, most blessed sacrament parish, you know, uh, and the politics that it created, holding back the forces, you know, of, you know. Of yeah, the main, the main reason that Martin Mullen, who was elected mm -hmm. from most blessed sacrament parish because they had so many people there. The main he reason he was public enemy number one was because he opposed the government funded contraception program that the state wanted to get involved in. He was Irish Catholic, right? That's right. He wasn't and white. He, he was chairman. <laughs> well, was he white? Yeah. Was yeah. He white? You know? Well, was this that, is the hidden... I mean, this is... The, I don't want to take any much more of your time. Sorry. Just, just, this is the hidden grammar that you write about, is the hidden grammar of the civil rights movement was the dispersal of these ethnic Catholics, you know, German, Irish, Pole, Italian in the suburbia where they become to identify as white and they lose their Catholicism because of that, which should have been the interest of the individual parishes, the church at the time, but they didn't understand that, that, le that level of, that meta level warfare. That was yeah, and I asked Cardinal Kroll that question mm -hmm. specifically about MBS and he didn't have a clue. I mean, he was at, uh, in a state of uh, dementia at that point, but mm -hmm. I mean, c conscious of, uh, enough to answer the question. His answer to me was, you can't tell people where to move. You can't tell people where to live. And so every parish that got closed down got reopened in the suburbs. So it was like a zero sum game for him. But no, that that was you. You hit the nail on the head when you said they lost their identity when they moved to the suburbs. Mm -hmm. And then they, they start watching pornography and playing video games. And, you know, you know, the type of kid you see in movies like Fast Time at Ridgemont High or something. That's the yeah, that's right. Type of creature they created with the alchemy. Um, yeah. And I think the difference is um, when you have um, – I've heard a lot of your interviews you know, with, the, quote, the white guys. And you've had a lot of really good interviews with them going back and forth, exchanging ideas and you know, responding to questions. So I encourage those interviews more because it's an important dialogue. But the difference is I think what I gather from your writings and what I tend to agree with is that to win the cultural war, which is the name of your magazine, is you have to have a, a revival, a return to traditional uh, Catholicism if you're Catholic, also the spread of Catholicism, evangelize. And people return to traditional Christian values. Uh, so, the as opposed only, to being the only institution that is powerful yeah. enough to protect the society is the Catholic Church. Now, uh, the state should be there to protect, and the, the church and the state should not be separate. They should work hand in hand in preserving the moral. Well, order. now you're getting <laughs> what's America then, <laughs> right? America is the gay disco. Yes, that's that's the. Bitter, that's the, the uh, bitter pill that yeah, uh, Americans, at least uh, there is something inherently antagonistic with uh, what America is and, you know, what the state should be. That's and, right. Yeah, that's, that's, but that doesn't mean that the state is evil. No. I, I say that to my libertarian <laughs> friends who kind of jump to that conclusion. <laughs> well, that's, that's when, let's abandon the state. Okay, so that, let them take over the state. That's great. Let's let, let hand everything over to those rich guys who give money to the Cato Institute and everything will be okay because then we'll have nothing but freedom. Yes, we can, we can just bask in our freedom all day long. Yeah. Without any you know, guidance. Yeah.
enslaved to student loan debt and pornography living in your mother's basement. But call it freedom, and then you'll feel better. <laughs> well, I think we covered it, right? You think so? I think so. Another great interview. Thank you for coming back on the show. Um, that, because the article is um, Sam Francis and the Triple Melting Pot in the December issue of Culture Wars. I read it, oh, probably almost three times. And I, it's a great article. Um, and, of course, your book, um, Logos Rising, A History of Ultimate Reality, is due out in probably perhaps January. Yes. You can go to yes. Culture Wars and pre-order it. Right? Yes, you can pre-order it. And they can At also Culture subscribe Wars. to the magazine. Yeah, and you can also subscribe to the magazine there. That's right. Well, Dr. Jones, thank you for coming back on the show. My pleasure. My I pleasure. Wish, wish you a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Same to you. Same Great. to you. Good night, then. Good night. Bye-bye.